Hi, I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Forest Search Podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. We have two guests on the line, Renee Murphy and Chase Cunningham, here to discuss zero trust compliance. Welcome to both of you. Thanks for having me. Renee, can we start with what we mean by the word compliance? It can mean all sorts of things, but what do we mean specific as it relates to zero trust? Well, for zero trust, when we talk about compliance, we're, we're literally talking about, you know, infrastructure, right? That's what zero trust is. And so for me, it's like the on-the-ground controls, right? Do I have certain things in order in which we're going to manage this stuff? So compliance, you know, you can say, you know, is it fraud compliance? Well, Sure. Anti-money laundering, not so much, right? There, it does do compliance. But when I speak about compliance, what I'm talking about is that control set that you have in IT, like that thing that everybody makes you go through once a quarter, then once a year, you know, that is the transparency of IT. When I talk about compliance, that's what I'm talking about. And here's what I love about security, right? At the end of the day, we are the most transparent group in, in the business. And, and what I love about that is that it's our, our get out of jail free card. Right. Um, and, the, and it's our get out of jail free card because, uh, you know, we've done everything we could. We can actually go to regulators and say, what else did you want me to do? I did everything I could. I rearranged my network. I, I leveraged all of my monitoring. I did everything I could um, in order to secure this environment. Um, and I can prove it. Right. That's why when there's a breach, your stuff goes up not down. So when it comes to compliance, that's what I'm talking about. The control level compliance in IT, specifically around, in this context, um, zero trust and infrastructure. How did we look at compliance before zero trust? Like, what's the before part of the story? So if I was going to go in and do an audit, and I have some street cred here, if I could, if I could say that. So I'm, I'm not only just a, a network engineer and a VP of data center operations. I'm patting myself on the back like that wasn't good enough. No, I'm also an internal and external IT auditor, right? So if audit's going to come in and take a look at this, the last time audit came in and looked at my network, it was a perimeter-based network. I have firewalls. I have routers. I have switches. I'm making sure I'm fortifying the outside. I'm watching the firewall. I'm dropping um, inbound connections or outbound connections that I don't like. Um, I'm going to monitor all that as much as I can, and that's my strategy. That's my, that is my strategy. It's a border strategy. So if I was an auditor and I was coming in and looking at compliance that way, what I'm looking for is change control around the infrastructure. I'm looking for a proper approvals for opening holes in the firewall. I'm looking for proper approvals to close that stuff when you're done. All of that stuff um, was specific to, if you think about it, the um, hardening of the, of the border network. Zero Trust says – Nope, we're going to abstract that, right? So take away the border network. It can still all be configured that way. That's fine, right? But abstract all of that and say it's not about the network, the physical network. It's about the data. We're going to draw, redraw the physical network around the data. And so when I think about like network engineering and why this is good for compliance, we are finally taking a risk-based approach and securing our most important data. And that's how we run the entire IT organization. It's about time. This is how we ran network infrastructure. And if I can just say, Chase, I'm, I couldn't be more excited for the digital transformation of network security. It's been a long time coming. Yep, me too. Uh, uh, there's, I have high hopes for where this thing goes. Yes. So one way to interpret what you said is that com- from a compliance standpoint, you did the best you could in the context of a perimeter strategy, but now Zero Trust gives it a new model, a new capability, a new potential. So now compliance either has to up the game or sort of look at it from a different way of are you maximizing the value of Zero Trust? Is that a, a way to look at this? 
That's exactly the way to look at that, right? So now I want to comply to what zero trust, um, the zero trust framework intends to do. So now I need to make sure that that's, now that the change has happened, I need to make sure it continues to be effective, right? So, you know, once, once the, the zero trust, uh, you know, transformation happens and we're done, now the whole control framework that we had before that we would test the perimeter network with, we're going to change all that testing to more reflect the, uh, the zero trust environment. And it's actually not that big of a change. It, it, the controls all overlap with existing control frameworks. We don't have anything new going on here. It's absolutely nothing new. We just have to re-talk about how we, uh, how we talk about compliance and how we talk about the controls, but we're going to help you with that too. And so if a firm has decided, okay, I'm going to embrace zero trust security or zero trust extended framework, what is that first thing that they should be focusing on when it comes to compliance? I think from the minute you say, I want to do this, the first thing you need to focus on is to uh, call your auditor and say, um, there's two, really, these are the two things we need to mature the most. We need to mature data classification, and you need to understand audit, and you need to make it clear to your business that data classification is not an IT problem. Data classification is a business problem. We store the data. We don't create it. Right? This is a business problem. So audit, go solve the business problem of data classification for once and all and make it a business priority. And then two, um, you must, must, must um, have identity and access management in order. And I would also say that the monitoring in the end is going to be really, really important um, to zero trust actually working. But we're not, going to that's not, we're not going to bite off monitoring until the third round of audit. Right now, in that very first round, this is the first thing we're going to do. Yeah, from a compliance perspective, I'm going to tell you, you need to mature those two controls to an extreme degree, have audit come in and, and sign off on you being a five and then start your transformation. Those two things, data classification and identity and access management have to be bulletproof. So on the data classification, just sort of going backwards to go forwards. So in, in the podcast we've had, we've talked to a lot of firms took 2019 to sort of dig their way out of technical and data debt. And one of the methods on the data side was sort of putting in place a believable data governance environment which would lend itself to the data classification that you're talking about. So is, is this part of what you would checking, you'd be checking is that is there a data governance environment on the business side that carries over into the IT side so that I actually can look at data the way I'm supposed to be looking at the data? So I would say that's the business execution of the problem that I have, right? The problem that I have is IT is sitting there with what may be a, a petabyte of data, and the business doesn't know what's important, where it is, who owns it, how to control it, when it's going to die, how long it's going to live. Is it going through a life cycle where eventually it's going to not matter anymore and we can get it? Like that's the part, that's the part that the business has to solve, right? For us to be able to say, now we know where all the critical assets are in the environment and now we can secure those appropriately. Remember, we've abstracted that, that physical layer. It's not about where's the machine, what rack is it in, you know, what, you know, and what floor space is it on. It's not that anymore. It is what data is that? How secure it, do I need to make it? Um, what's the risk to me not doing that? And, and how can I mature that, that, right? So for me, it's that whole abstracting of that network layer where the hardware and the perimeter don't, don't matter anymore. It's all about the data now. If it's going to be all about the data, you better know where that data is. Because let's face it, if I came in, you do a whole zero trust implementation. It's all hinging on those two things. And I come in as your auditor and find out that there is no real data classification going on. You guys were just doing it yourself. That, that is not the solution to that. I would say you're in jeopardy of um, having 
this zero trust implementation not work for you just because you don't have a mature enough data classification program, right? So I think that part of it is important. So Chase, as we look at some of the early efforts associated with zero trust and zero trust framework, how has this worked with compliance or what has been the role of getting sort of the data prepared into in a zero trust context? It's been one of those things back to Renee's point where uh, for the last X number of years, we really didn't have the capability to do segmentation the way that it was supposed to be put in place so that we knew where data is supposed to live. So you've had to be compliant for the entire infrastructure. And with this whole micro segmentation side of thing and the growth of zero trust as a strategy of carving out what actually is of importance and knowing how to defend it, like that's where the, the game starts to change. In other words, you know, if you're, if you re- used to run a regular infrastructure and you had that perimeter based model, great. You had to be compliant and secure for everything all the time and never fail, or it was the end of phase for you. If you follow the tenets of where zero trust, micro segmentation, virtualization, isolation, all that stuff actually plays, you need to be compliant for what is supposed to be compliant. The rest of it is contested space and you fight the battle there. And that's the difference, in my opinion, of where we are now with technology and with virtualization and with where we're supposed to be, rather than firewalling ourselves to death and never actually having anything segmented the way that it ought to be functionally. So does that mean that you're prioritizing where you're placing your compliance bets so that you're not treating all, I guess, things or micro-segmentations equally from a compliance perspective? No, in my opinion, like what you should be doing is stepping back and looking at, okay, there's two trenches of data that I think actually matter here. There's the the data that matters of whether or not it gets breached and I wind up with a giant fine and it's going to ruin the business because we got breached and that's the compliance side of it. Or there's the trench of data that I need to be able to defend because it requires compliance and it is critical to the future of the survival of the business because of consumers and et cetera. So the, the point on twisting the compliance narrative and zero trust is the practical side of that. Which one do you focus on first? That depends. Are you heavily focused on enabling compliance? If so, you're in a heavily regulated environment, get off the couch and get after it. Or if you're not in a heavily regulated environment, but you have valuable intellectual property that benefits the business, fix that first and then worry about checking compliance as you move along that path. In terms of compliance and zero trust as it relates to customer data, if I'm in the EU for a moment, I, in the next year or two years, are going to make different decisions as, as to where the data lay just because of what happens or doesn't happen with Brexit, what happens structurally. Does that coach me that, to get your point on micro-segmentation, is there a natural segmentation happening with data governance anyways because of what's happening on the business side of the house or the privacy side of the house? The size of the fine is where you place your bet. Uh, on compliance, right? So back in back in the day, like like GDPR before it happened, before it happened as GDPR, it was called safe harbor. No one did anything. The fine was two hundred fifty thousand dollars. They could only do it to you once a year, so you paid it and you ignored it. <laughs> in Europe, they actually said, okay, that's not what we're looking for. You guys are cheating. So here's GDPR, right? And so now we're stuck with we have localization problems. Canadian data can't leave Canada. 
uh, Irish data can't leave Ireland. Um, UK data can't leave the EU. Like that's what we're dealing with now. So yeah, I think that goes into part of the segmentation conversation. Like it has from a regulatory perspective, it can't leave Ireland. We've got tons of solutions for that. There's tons of solutions that say the lo localization can stay. We've abstracted everything else. What difference does it make? That's where the data can live, even though I'm going to access it somewhere else, right? I think that's that's the big divide. After that, you still have stuff to think about. So which of these places now has your crown jewels? All of them? None of them? One of them? Where is it, right? Like we still have the same problems. So at the end of the day, I feel like we could have said it's by geography, or we could say it's by city, or we can say it's by country, we can say it's by regulatory regime. But if that's the first bucket. We still have bunches of buckets to do, right? Yep. So um, yeah, for me, it's, it's how, however, the, whatever context we want to put this in, that's fine. But as someone who covers compliance religiously um, and has never met a reg she didn't like, um, which will get me tons of hate mail. Um, but um, it, it, for someone like me, you know, regulatory compliance should be beside the point. We're going to do all this stuff because it's the right thing to do. We're going to prove that we're doing it because we have to do that for regulatory compliance. But this isn't why you, you overhaul your environment. You don't do it for compliance purposes. You do it for best practices, and then compliance just takes care of itself. Oh, there you have it, an auditor saying you don't do it for auditing. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah you don't. You don't. So I'm going to go back to the prior thing you said, um, which was from a, from a compliance standpoint, I would go to the regulators and say, I did compliance on this blob that's within the perimeter, when meaning back to your point, Chase, everything had to be considered and had to be sort of in line with whatever was, was the, the regulations at the time. Zero Trust comes along and it, and it starts to segment the population. So it's compliance per segment is the question, which may have different rules associated with it. Does that simplify or make more complex the effort like, from an overall standpoint? Well, if you're doing it uh, with the old approach of, like, I think I'm going to go after the thing uh, as fast as possible and we're just going to all of a sudden flip a switch and amazingly we will be, uh, you know, in the space, you're going to fail. Um, what people, and I, I spend a lot of time on workshops working with folks of, Let's be very granular. Let's solve one particular piece of this thing, and then let's go forward. If you don't do that, um, micro-segmentation will fail just like everything else. In order to achieve any victory in this space, you must be granular and you must be dialed in on the winning very, very small things. And I mean, I'm talking down to the level of maybe like one database. Like if that's where you got to start, then fine, but realize there's a pragmatic side to this, and you can't go unscrew 30 years of fail with one big tranche of work. It's just not how it's going to get there. You know, the, the way I always explain it actually is um, it, it actually, you end up with a less complex environment and you actually end up with doing less work overall, I think, right? Once I know what it is, where it is and how important it is, I can, I can put my effort toward it. But, and here's how I usually think about this, right? I, I think it's a really good way to think about it. When you go grocery shopping, you guys, and you buy um, a jar of jam, when you bring it home, where do you put it? Wherever my wife tells me. There you go. That's the right answer. And she probably tells you because she's a bright woman um, with common sense. She would tell you, put it in the cupboard, right? That's where it goes. It hasn't been opened yet. Put it in the cupboard. That's where we put that stuff, right? Imagine if you had no cupboards and all you had was refrigerators. 
right? It, that was the only tool for the job. It has the shelves in it, it closes, it gets stuff out of the way, and that jar of jelly has to go in that freezer or in that fridge because there's nowhere else for it to go. That's what happens when you look at a perimeter network, you trust everybody on the inside. That means everything's going into the refrigerator, <laughs> right? Refrigerators are big and they cost a lot of money and they use a lot of energy and I got to clean them. That's stupid. Can we please install a pantry? And that's what, that's what you do, right? That you say, okay, this is how I'm going to divide out the data. This is how I'm going to divide out what I do. There's stuff that has to go in the fridge because it's going to spoil if it doesn't. Everything else is going in the cabinets because it doesn't have to go there. I only need one refrigerator. That's, that, to me, is data classification for security purposes, right? I put it all in the fridge because it belongs there. I put everything else in the cabinet because it belongs there. I put everything um, into the, the micro-segmented environment because it's very, very important to me and it can't spoil. I put everything else in the cupboard or in other micro-segmented environments with less monitoring and less security because it's less important to me if that gets lost. So we've talked a lot about when firms are starting this journey, but surely there are people who have various levels of maturity on this front. So Renee, can you talk about what are those three different areas folks would be focusing on as their maturity grows? If you're just starting out, it's data classification and it's identity and access management. After that, after they've deployed the network segmentation, you want to go back and look at, is the monitoring correct? Are they leveraging that data? If they're doing exception monitoring based on the information they're looking at, what are they doing with the exceptions of that? Are they putting it through a ticketing system? How is it being resolved? Have they put any governance or SLAs around that? If so, are they sticking to them? Um, that's because once the, the program matures, it's not so much about the architecture anymore. We got through that in the first audit. Now it's about the processes that support the architecture. So I'll audit that a couple, for just a couple of years probably, I'll audit to make sure that on top of the fact that we're not slipping behind in data classification and identity and access management, that we're maintaining that as a five. That, that second and third uh, year, I'm going to spend just saying, are your processes bulletproof? And once I'm convinced that's true, I'm going to move on into um, strategy. How is the zero stress strategy actually helping us? What are those metrics? What do they look like? And are we using that to plan our security for the future? That's the three stages. That's going from I'm, I'm a newbie to I'm using it for performance management. That's how we get there from here. But as I look at the whole thing, the context of zero trust is a very different context. It acknowledges the hostile world that lives lives outside their four walls and the fact that there's things inside the four walls that are also kind of, you know, antagonistic to the mission. So how do how do I get my head wrapped around compliance as a strategic part of this puzzle, not just sort of I'm not going to get myself in trouble? I you know what, I'm I, I think compliance gets a bad a bad rap, right? Like I never ever ever do I think compliance is the is the thing I should do. I don't look at a control and say, okay, this is what I have to do. I look at a control and say, oh, I get what they're getting at. Um, but I think I can do that better. <laughs> That's how I look at controls, right? So let me let me say this to you. As an auditor, I'm telling you, forget compliance. Compliance is beside the point. Embrace the best practice. Make it work. Tie whatever evidence you have back to whatever compliance requirement they may throw at you. But at the end of the day, you're maturing this process to a five because it's a meaningful way to work. So with all of that said about compliance and being more sort of ambitious in the compliance space, how does this affect the arc of zero trust in terms of it becoming much more formidable in the market and much more capable for enterprises? 
Well, the, the interesting thing is that's why, you know, we're working so hard on sort of the uh, back-end education and training and formalizing the research to tie it to processes that we can say these equivocate to compliance-related standards. Renee's done some really great work on that in the publications coming for sort of Rosetta Stone. She developed uh, to map those things in. But what I like to remind people repeatedly is that this is a journey. This is a marathon. Compliance uh, is, you know, something that you do as you stumble around through the whole place where you're, you know, maneuvering. This is, this is zero trust is something that you will be engaged in for the duration. Compliance is something that you do as part of this overall process. And if you think that you're compliant and you're safe, go look at the history of exploitation. Go look at all the breaches and find me an organization that was compliant that 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 survived like compliant environments are ripe for the picking and if you stop at compliance you are waiting to fail i think you're absolutely right chase like if, if it were all about compliance we would never lose any data compliance is the lowest common denominator um really look at this and i'm going to help you i'm going to help you realize that i'm going to give you all the controls i'm going to give you um, all the testing i'm going to help you get through this to make you understand that all we're doing with compliance is proving that you're a genius at your job. Renee, Chase, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.